You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo. Welcome back. Regina Gershman is an author, playwright, educator, and counselor who lives in Ottawa, where she's helping refugees to resettle and start new lives in Canada. Regina was born in Kiev when it was still part of the Soviet Union. In 1974, she fled to Canada with her family, leaving the rest of her close family back in Ukraine. As a young girl in Soviet Ukraine, Regina fought hard for her identity and Jewish faith in schools and a society in which atheism was the only accepted religious view. 
She's had three books published, the most recent on the topic of Ukraine, titled Rebecca's Journey, Memoir of a Young Girl Fleeing Anti-Semitism. Writing this book brought a lot of old memories back for Regina, along with great sympathy and empathy for Ukrainian refugees fleeing war-torn Ukraine today. Currently, she's fighting to get the rest of her family out of Kiev, including an 84-year-old aunt. She joins us by phone from her home in Ottawa. Thanks so much, Regina, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, congratulations on this book. Um, it was really hard to get to get a review copy, and that's uh, the review will be airing shortly, as soon as Myra gets finished reading it. Um, it was, yeah, it was quite, it's been flying off the shelf. So congratulations on that. I imagine it'll be going into another printing soon. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad to hear that. So this book, your third, it's it's a memoir. It's not fiction. So it's based on your story. Now, um, your name is Regina. The uh, protagonist in the book is called Rebecca. Tell us about that. Tell us that story first. <laughs> okay. Well, my when I was born, my name was Rebecca. That's the name they gave me. My grandmother named me Rebecca because her mother's name was Rivka. Rivka and Rebecca is the same name. Ah. But due to the fact we were Jewish, and my parents were hiding the fact that we were Jewish because many people don't know that. But at that time, in 1960, in 60s, there was a huge anti-Semitism going on in all over USSR, former Soviet Union. And so, so it wouldn't be difficult for me in school and living in society. My father renamed me Regina or we call it in Ukrainian and Russian, Regina. So my grandmother would constantly call me Rebecca, and my mother and my father would call me Regina. So coming to Canada, my name stayed as uh, Regina. Well, really, it's Regina, but in English, we call it as Regina. Sorry, what, what, how did you pronounce it in, in Russian-Ukrainian? In Russian-Ukrainian, it's called Regina with a G instead ah, of a G. Okay, because there's no G in Russian, right. And, of course, that was the dominant language, even in Soviet Ukraine at the time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. like, in Ukrainian, they call it Regina. Regina, right, yeah. Does, <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever use Rivka? Rivka I use only when I go to the synagogue. So in the Jewish area, I would... Hours when I go to you know the Jewish Federation, they know me as Rebecca. Okay, but of course they also know me as Regina. But it's just less confusing when they know me as Rebecca. Yeah, I, yeah, I understand. I'm Pavlina on the show, but in the rest of the life of my life, it's Paulette. So <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's not quite the same, but sort of similar. So tell us about growing up in, in Soviet Ukraine. You mentioned in schools. It started in schools. Uh, so atheism was really pushed on you, and if you had a different faith, uh, you were in trouble. Exactly. Well, I was born to a religious family, so my grandparents were very religious, and my great-grandfather was a rabbi, and so you can imagine that when my, my my paternal side, every Friday they would celebrate Shabbat, they would have to cover all the windows oh. so the neighbors wouldn't find out what we are doing because practicing religion 
was not allowed back in in Russia as they wanted the whole Russia to be atheist. Right. And, uh, of course, my immediate family, grandparents on my paternal side were not. They were very religious. So, and, of course, it's... Um, it was uh, very, very traditional for them to be, you know, to celebrate a Jewish holiday. And uh, growing up, even though they changed my name from Rebecca to Regina, when I was going to school, um, visibly I looked different from other children. And I had a lot of Jewish, uh, I guess, teachers. And the kids and the teachers would make fun of me and the teachers and the principals, they, they did not like that anyone who was not uh, Ukrainian or pure Russian looking. And so I would often get into trouble without even being in trouble just because I was Jewish. I would get in a lot of trouble. And what I'm saying about our trouble, there was, you can say, physical abuse. To oh. the- Physical abuse consisted of uh, slapping kids on their hands if they chose to write with the left hand instead of the right hand. Oh. And I was born left-handed. Oh, dear. Yeah, sometimes I would forget to write with the right hand, and I would get actually a big slap on the left hand. And uh, I would always be picked up uh, by teachers, and they were very rough on me, and I was always be sent to principal's office. The principal would actually hit me and they call it discipline. But yes, yes. So that's what they would do to kids. And if you read my book, you know how bad it would get in school. Outside the school, yes, unfortunately that was the case in 60s. Outside of school, um, I would be picked on by peers and by older students, they would push me, and even the girls would fight, and they would also push me. I would often come home uh, with bruises, and there was, unfortunately, there was nothing my parents can do. They couldn't just come into school and complain. Uh, There was just, they just couldn't do that, because if they did that, then they would lose their job, or it it, it would be very bad. So uh, I, as a little girl, wouldn't even tell them what happened to school because I didn't want them to worry uh-huh. about it. And I tried to handle it myself. So there was a huge discrimination going on at that time in um, 70s, early 70s. Uh, for example, my mother would go try to get milk or some other product, and she would stand in a long lineup was a queue usually it's normal at that time to line up for milk in one line for bread in another line for livestock in another line and for vegetables in completely different lines so sometimes people stand like two to three hours per day just to get fruits and vegetables so when my mother would stand in line someone would notice that she's not one of them and they would push her or just pull her out of the line and say things like, oh, we don't sell, we don't sell products to Jews. Get out of here. Oh. And or else I would just really physically push her and she would fall on the ground. 
and nobody would help her to get up. Oh. They would all laugh at her and uh, things like that. Or there were incidents when she would walk with my father and some drunken man would come up to them and they said, oh, why are you with her? You know, you could be with somebody else. And they tried to push her in front of my father. And my father would try to defend my mother and he would get punched in the face. Oh. So it was, it was very difficult growing on being there on that time. Oh, oh my goodness, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of name calling, left and right, even, and the neighbors were spied, were spying on their other neighbors because they were paid to do so by KGB, and KGB, uh, they were everywhere. Yeah. So it was also very dangerous. Wow. And uh, so that's how I was growing up in the in Kiev. Yeah. At that time, in nineteen sixties and nineteen seventies, what did your um, did your mom work? Yes, both my parents worked. They had very good jobs. So my mother was a quality assurance analyst, and my father was an engineer. So he was an structured engineer. Did they encounter problems at work too? You know, my mother did, and my father not as much. But my mother always encountered problems. She was also working in a chocolate factory where she developed allergies to chocolate for oh, some reason. Oh dear. So in the evening, she would come home with these different chocolates. And uh, of course, she couldn't eat them because she was allergic. But she asked me to eat the chocolates and sort them in different rolls. Like this is dark chocolate, this is milk chocolate, and this is bittersweet chocolate. So she, <laughs> it was funny, but she, she just couldn't do it herself so she would bring it to me and I would be doing it for her and at a very early age I developed love for chocolate (laughs) yeah it was so much love that later on in my years I needed a dentist a lot oh (laughs) (laughs) oh well that's that's nice to have that that happy memory from childhood then uh I mean, chocolate is yes. chocolate. Chocolate yes. is very soothing for many things. So, yes. uh, how did the immigration process? Seventy four was still the throes of the Soviet Union. It was hard to get out. Uh, were you considered a refusenik? I remember that that's what they called Jews who somehow managed to get out. Uh, almost expelled. It was like the Soviet government was saying, "Okay, we don't want you, so go, go to Israel or go to the West, whatever." Was that how it that worked is exactly for you? correct? Ah. Yes, yes. So the reason we could get out of Russia, well, it was then Russia. I'm referring to it as Russia, even though it's Kiev and it's Ukraine now. Yeah. But I'm referring to it as Russia because it was former. Yeah. USSR, well, they, they want they wanted it to be Russia then, and they want it to be Russia again now. So yeah, I understand. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Um. So the way, um, whoever had uh, Jewish roots were able to get out. If a person or a family did not have any Jewish roots, they could not get out. So in fact, the government wanted the Jewish people to leave USSR at that time. So what they would do, they would come around and they would just give a notice of two weeks. Uh, If they wanted something from the family, they would come in, they would give them two weeks and they said, here, you have two weeks to get out. If you don't get out within two weeks, that's it. You know, oh. your your apartment is not going to be yours. You're going to take this away. You're going to take that away. And you're going to take your children away. <gasps> oh, my so, goodness. Yeah. 
No, I'm not kidding. There were a lot of stories that the children were uh, separated from their parents and the parents uh, were taken away or either they were sent to Siberia or worse. So, but the children were placed with foster parents. And so when they told us we only had two weeks to leave and they took my parents' passport. So they couldn't get anywhere. They just had to leave. Um, And so, yes, and and the KGB was constantly watching them. So right away, my parents lost their job right away. The moment they were told they have to leave, they lost their job. And of course, they kicked me out of school the same day. And I didn't even know we were leaving. I didn't even know what was going on. It's just that the principal came, took me by the hand and walked me to the door and closed the door behind me. And I'm like, well, what's going on? I don't know. Like, what's happening? And oh. uh, and they said to me, you're no longer a citizen of this country and you have to leave. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I was 10 years old. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know what was happening. Of course, I went home and to find out. And my parents came home and everybody was quickly gathering what they could. But the um, KGB were watching us. So every day they would come to our house. Well, we lived in an apartment and to see what was, you know, what we were doing. And they were constantly harassing us, harassing us, harassing us. So the last day, you know, my father was so scared of all the harassment and threats because they were constantly being threatened. So finally in the middle of the night, because we didn't know what was gonna happen they could have separated us and there was a lot of stress on my parents and we just grabbed uh, whatever we could I grabbed my doll and my parents grabbed two suitcases and we just fled we fled straight to the train and my grandparents were there and some other relatives were there just to say goodbye to us and some of them said goodbye for the last time because I never ever saw my paternal grandparents again and I never saw my maternal grandfather again so it was it was very sad but being a little girl I didn't know what was going on no. but all I knew is that there I was being pushed on the train and and we were leaving and saying goodbye to everyone and that's all I knew and everybody it was so much shock and, and a lot of people were getting on the train very quickly it was in the middle of the night I wanted to sleep my little brother was crying, and so you can just imagine what's going on. And then the train, the train was full of people. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a very difficult moment going through that, remembering that. Uh, it was very stressful going somewhere where you don't know where you're going. Yeah. And then once we got to Poland, they went through our luggage, and they took a lot of things. And including my doll. I had the oh. doll for 10 years. They broke its neck. Oh. And uh, yes, they were checking everything. Uh, they broke the, the doll's neck and they took the doll away. They took a lot of our stuff, uh, our clothes, our, a lot of things. They took away what they wanted. And they just pushed us somewhere else. We didn't even know where we were going. But we, they, we were completely kicked out of the country. 
and uh, and that's it. Nobody would talk to us. And again, we didn't know what, what was going on. We were going through Poland, and then we were sent to Vienna. We stayed in Vienna for one week, but again, we didn't speak German, and yeah. it was we didn't know what was going on. We were just told, go there, go here, do this, do that, and nobody to ask questions because you can ask questions, they won't give you the answers. And from Vienna, we were told we only have two ways to go, either to Israel or to Italy. And so my parents chose Italy. Why? Why Italy, why Italy uh, and not um, Israel? Israel? Uh, well, my mother wanted to go to Canada, and uh, my father did everything that my mother wanted to do. So, because she wanted to go to Canada, and we knew a uh, way to get to Canada is through Italy. Okay. And so we had to go to Italy and wait till we would get our entry visas through Italy, from Italy. Okay. How did you manage then in Vienna? Were you on your own, or were you with other other Jews from from Ukraine and the Soviet Union? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so there so- are other Jews, Jewish people from, um, I think everything was organized by the Jewish Federation. Okay, all right. And that's an organization that was in the Soviet Union? Um, no, I think it was a Jewish organization from either Italy or uh, Canadian. I'm not sure exactly okay. which Jewish organization, but I think it was organized that way. Okay, that, that one step, yeah. Okay, there wouldn't have been any allowed in, in the Soviet Union, right? That would have no. been that would have been dangerous, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's hard yeah. hard hard to wrap your head around that. This was in the nineteen seventies. And this none of this these are these are stories that were never known. They we didn't know about this going on in the West. I was in high school and uh, I was going to a Catholic school. I remember when I was 15 in the library finding the diary of Anne Frank. And I read that and I thought, oh my good. And I knew because of what I experienced, the discrimination I experienced growing up in Canada as Ukrainian, and just hearing vaguely, you know, adults when they weren't speaking Ukrainian, <laughs> um, <laughs> telling stories about difficulties in the past. And, and it was never as bad as what Anne Frank uh, experienced obviously because we were you know in Canada but still I in the book I, I just felt an affinity for for you know the Jewish culture the Jewish people because I thought oh we have so much in common and that was the first I knew anything about anything Jewish I was in the middle of Saskatchewan you know we were all mostly Ukrainian and European farmers and so in high school, we should have known about what was going on in the Soviet Union because it was a Ukrainian Catholic school, and and Ukrainian Catholics and and Orthodox are being persecuted as were Jews, but yet nobody talked about it. Yes, well, I remember um, getting to Edmonton. That's where we landed um, when we stayed in Italy for seven months, and then finally. Canada accepted the new wave of immigrants and they had to resettle them throughout the country. And we were told to uh, move to Edmonton. Yes, so they resettled us in Edmonton. Okay. Why in Edmonton? Because there were not enough um, Ukrainian, Russian, and Jewish people there. So they sent us there. I think we were one of the first waves of Ukrainian, Russian. Jewish immigrants to resettle in Edmonton in 70s. 
But there were lots of Ukrainian. That was when I was yeah. growing up. They called it garlic gulch and Edmundchuk and you know all of that. It was known to be a hub of Ukrainian life. Yes, but those were the Ukrainians from 1900. Yeah. That's when they sat there. So there would be uh, yeah. So there would be about second generation, mm-hmm. third generation, right. and we would be the first generation because we were really the Ukrainian Russian Jewish people. Okay, yeah. That would be something there. And that's where the discrimination started because um, a lot of Ukrainians did not accept us because, again, we were Jewish. And, um, and again, there was a discrimination there because, well, my mother uh, spoke much better Ukrainian than the actual Ukrainians who have lived in Alberta. Because they lost um, the language, because because we weren't allowed to keep it up uh, in Canada. Yeah. Wow. And so there would have been the resentment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there was, uh, and again, there was a lot of discrimination because, again, the new people coming mm-hmm. in, new culture. So in school, it wasn't so bad as in Russian school, but, but still, because I went into grade five, and I felt there was a discrimination. There was a, a language barrier, of course, but the kids, when they see you look different, you dress different, you act different, and you speak different. So, of course, that's where uh, the discrimination and the fighting starts. And at that time, there was no such thing as uh, no fighting allowed. I mean, maybe they, it was still um, encouraged, you know, you, you uh, solve your problem fighting yeah. at that time again we're talking about 1970 yeah, yeah. and uh, but yes I felt a lot even my little brother who came to Canada when he was three years old he also felt it and his English was perfect but he still went through this a little bit of harassment but I went through a lot of harassment in Canada um, in Edmonton so, because I spoke funny, I spoke with an accent, I dressed funny. And in the, I, yeah, and in the, sef- in the 70s, I remember you, I didn't want to be, um, yeah, I wanted nothing to do with my Ukrainian heritage when I was uh, back then. I did. In one way, but I but in secret. But when I was out in the world with you know other people and other situations, I didn't. I wanted to marry somebody, but they didn't have a Ukrainian name. I wanted nothing to do with that. Even in the seventies, and then you came, and uh, you came into that kind of a um, uh, environment where people wanted nothing to do, and then you came and put it basically in our faces. You- <laughs> And right, and and then at that time the multi the official multicultural multiculturalism act was passed in Canada, and for me I I started to feel a shift. Well, look, thinking I mean retro, in in hindsight I felt a shift. I don't think at the time I realized. Did you encounter what? Did it take a while once you arrived in Canada? Did it take a while to become accepted? Yes, I think it took a good five years for me to be accepted. And I remember that I was finally accepted in high school. I remember a lot of people hated high school. But for some reason, I loved high school, mm-hmm. especially graduation dances and mm-hmm. dances. Me too. me too. Yeah, and coming, and my parents were very strict. 
And when I would go to a dance, my father would go and chaperone me. <laughs> I was so embarrassed that all the other friends of mine came by themselves and, you know, they wanted to dance with boys. And here I have to be chaperoned by my father and he would follow me around. And I, I could not, my friends would date and I wasn't allowed until oh. I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and little do you know that he actually did you a favor. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, perhaps. But all my friends were always laughing at me. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 for sure. I remember those days. So um, so then, so you adjusted to Canada. It was, um, you got past, I mean, you lived in the with the oppression in the Soviet Union. You came here, you encountered some of it, but it... It, it changed. Have you noticed after Ukraine became independent in 91, um, you would have had still had family there and, uh, you know, people that you knew. Did you notice, uh, did it change in Ukraine the way that, similar to how you encountered it changing when you came to Canada? Were there any similarities there? Well, uh, there were a lot of similarities. Of course, not really similarities as in Canada because they were always striving to be more independent in Ukraine. Uh, they were always trying to be, but they were not more like socialist, but not democratic like here. And I did have a lot of family members left there. Again, my grandmother, uh, not my grandmother, well, my grandmother, yes, but also my cousins, my aunts, um, on my both sides, on my father's side, on my mother's side. So I had a lot of family there. And then eventually they were able to leave and they went to Israel. Mm -hmm. And some of them went to Israel and some of them were able to leave freely to United States. So back then, some of them were not even um, Jewish and they were allowed to go to United States and they didn't have to do the Poland, Italy mm -hmm. like I did, mm -hmm. like my family did. They went straight to United States. So again, that gives a little bit more freedom to move around. And when they did move around, we left mm -hmm. Ukraine, they didn't have to give up their passport. Not like they took our passport and they made us refugees. But for them, for my relatives, no, they were not refugees. They were able to leave freely the country. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference that I find in 90s and in 70s. Mm -hmm. There was less persecution. Uh, people didn't have to wear uniforms in schools, and people were a little bit more freer. And it, it didn't really matter whether you were Jewish or not Jewish. Of course, there were instances that they were a little bit prejudiced and discriminative. But it wasn't as bad as 60s and 70s. Yeah. Yeah, well, it takes it takes a while for attitudes to change, for sure. Yeah. But it's... Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, uh, fast forward to today, then. Um, do you see a step back in time with what's going on with, with this horrible war in Ukraine, this sudden, this sudden attack uh, on civilians by the Russian military? Yeah. Yes, it's just horrible what's going on there right now. So I have an aunt, uh, she's 83 years old, and uh, I desperately tried to get her out because we, she lives in Kiev, and we didn't know how to get her out. At first, my cousin went, tried to get her out, and she was not successful. Again, it's a very dangerous time right now, 
especially four weeks ago when, you know, when uh, the war started. And uh, it, first of all, it's just there's lots of mines, there's rockets flying over, and it, it, it's just how awful what you see on the road. I don't even want to say it. It yeah. would be very graphic. Yeah. It, but it's, it, that's unspeakable. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Yes, well, Maripol is completely destroyed. Yeah. And uh, the South Fort Lohansk and uh, Lohansk and Donetsk is taken over. You can say that. And uh, they haven't attacked Kiev in three days now, based on what my aunt's been saying. And uh, well, hopefully there won't be any attacks on Kiev. Uh, we'll see. So my aunt was saying that there is no heat. She lives in an apartment building with no heat. Oh. A lot of apartment buildings don't have windows. Oh. Uh, so you can just imagine living in an apartment building with no windows, no heat, it's freezing, and their little children. It's just devastating. Um, thankfully, my aunt does have windows, but there's no heat. And from time to time, she has uh, hot water, but not all the time. And um, the toilet water doesn't always work. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It also depends. And, uh, and it's very dangerous to go outside to get groceries. Groceries, the inventory is not as much. And, uh, but it's very dangerous to cross the street because of mines. There are planted mines, mines. on the road. And, uh, yeah. Whenever they go out, it's not to go for a walk. It's just to go for, to get groceries and hurry back. Oh. Yes, it's very devastating. And nobody expected this to happen in 2022. No kidding. No kidding. When did you start writing your memoir? I wrote my memoir last year. And something was going through me. And I felt I needed to write this memoir because it was so important to me and I thought I was always traumatized by the fact how it was uh, handled. Uh, I think the reason I wrote this story is because last year my father passed and um, my mother passed many years before and I think because my, my father's passing, somehow it's made me write my story and my memories of mm-hmm. what I remember, how I remember. Mm-hmm. And it's just something in me and my heart starts to pour on paper. Mm-hmm. And I needed to get this story out there for some reason. It's just something propelled me to do, to make, to start writing. Mm-hmm. And, and once I started to write, I couldn't finish. I couldn't mm-hmm. put my hand down until I stopped. It, it felt so important to get my story out mm-hmm. and uh, and you see what happens now and I, I don't imagine that you thought that this would ever happen when you started writing the book yes yes it, it sometimes it feels like one step forward two steps back yeah so you've got um, you have family that you're trying to get out of Ukraine now and they're they're following ironically the the same route that you followed, they have to go to Poland now and other parts of Europe before they come to Canada. That's correct. They have to go to Poland. But from Poland, I would pick them up and bring them to Canada or to England or wherever they want to go. 
but they don't have to do this step to Italy, of course. So I can just pick them up from Poland. Unfortunately, they were crying for me to come to Ukraine to pick them up there because, again, my aunt is elderly and she can't walk far. And there's nobody from our relatives can actually take her and bring her to Poland. So I'm constantly waiting when it's safe for me to go there and get her out. So you're on pins and needles every day. You're still, yeah. Still, tra- yeah. still traumatized. I'm so sorry. Sorry to hear that. And so many others, though, in the same situation. Uh, I mean, there have been thousands of civilians that have been have been killed, thousands of families broken up, and um, people going to the front and being killed there, so families that are fatherless and motherless, and many orphans as well. So tell us about the the organization that you're with in Ottawa. As we've heard that there's been a lot of funds going to organizations like, for example, the Red Cross, but it's not actually getting to the uh, the people in need. They're not, it's not going where it's supposed to go. Who are you with and how are you doing the work to help refugees? Yes, I'm with the Jewish Federation of Canada. And what I'm helping is with those who are coming or who came already who managed to get out. Um, what I'm doing is for the organization is I'm hosting my house for them to come and stay with me for a certain amount of time. Don't know until they more settle. Mm-hmm. I'm helping them to enroll in school, find jobs, try to teach them how to settle in into Canada or Ottawa, because it would be a total shock. They're coming into this country not knowing the language. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they will know the language, but a lot of people won't know the language. So um, there's a lot in interpretation that I will be doing, and I have been doing in terms of um, getting their kids enrolled in school, getting them enrolled in English classes, helping them with groceries, you know, they're just teaching them English, and uh, anything else I can I can help. I help um, other Jewish Federation okay. in Ottawa. So for listeners that are in other parts, I guess in Ottawa, they can contact the uh, Jewish Federation and, um, and get involved and open up their homes and, and help refugees get settled in. Yes, yes. And there's also other communities. There's a, uh, there's Ukrainian community. They're also doing something to help the refugees. And um, they call them, they actually call them temporary residents to come when they're coming into Ottawa or to Canada. And there would be a lot of Ukrainian communities that would know what to do and how to help and Mm-hmm. advice, uh, what they need, and if people want to host them, and that would help a lot, or um, bring things to their homes, wherever they are, or help them with the language, help them with the children, or any help they can give would be very appreciated. Okay, so just so contact a synagogue or a church in Ukrainian community. Yeah, and a Ukrainian Canadian Congress, and uh, of course there are there are churches all across Canada that are getting involved. So for uh, practical though, so once you do con- uh, contact an organization and you say, okay, I'd like to get involved, 
what should people do? How should they receive these people? How should they treat people? What um, do you have any advice so that you know so that we don't end up repeating the mistakes of the past? You know, don't become like the KGB, right? Yes, yes. Well, they have to. People have to be understanding and empathetic what these people have been going through, how they fled. Uh, from Ukraine, from from uh, from so much hostility, aggression, coming to this new country, they didn't, they don't know anything about bringing their children and the state they would be in. I mean, it's just so different for them. And like I said before, lots of them might not even speak English, so they have to be aware of that and aware of. Uh, but they're still able to talk to them. I mean, they can talk through the hands, through the hand gestures. Sure. And they can try to teach them. They can educate them. They can open their homes to them. They can give them food. Um, there Again, there's so many different societies that would probably be interested in helping. Mm-hmm. and But be very empathetic to them on what they have gone through and what they're going to be going through in the, in the next couple of years uh, when they're settling here. Yeah, it will be very traumatic for the children as well. Not getting parents understand what's going on and what they have to do, but what about the children who yeah. don't know what's happening at all? They've left their country, and they came to this foreign country where they don't know what what they're doing. They're scared to go to school. They're scared to go to I don't know the stores, and they're not used to all this new world. So be yeah. patient and be empathetic to their needs. Yeah. Is my advice. Well, I, I guess the important thing to remember is they're all they're arriving in, into a, a foreign country, into a foreign environment, already bringing with them terrible PTSD, post traumatic stress syndrome, from what they've, for, well, from the disruption, but also the horror yeah, that's that many of them would have uh, would have witnessed and probably can't even talk about. Yes, no, that's for sure. That is it's, it's very horrible because uh, I didn't want to mention anything, but running away from what uh, my aunt was mentioning is that running and a lot of people running and on the ground you see corpses of, of bodies and all kinds of bodies, uh, men, women, children, and it's just devastating and it's just terrible to see that. And especially when little children see what's going on, it's just... yeah. You know, it brings tears to my eyes. Sure, sure. Well, um, Regina, this your book that you wrote, even though it was set several decades ago in a different time, uh, there are many similarities there, and I suppose lessons to be learned for readers uh, in, in the world that we live in today. Yes, there are so many similarities from 1970s and 2022. I just can't believe it myself. Because back then in 1970s, the KGB didn't like the family or the people. They would also shoot them, kill them, yeah, yeah. or you know, or or in other words, they would disappear. And that's what it means when a person disappears or a family disappears. And it seems that that's what's happening right now too. Um, there were oh, there were just so many stories I won't even mention on the radio that the people or the families would disappear. You know, innocent families. And uh, the government don't really care. And that's, that's what's very uh, traumatic about it. 
Well, I guess then, listeners, ordinary citizens, we can care for them and hopefully shame the governments and and the uncaring into developing some sympathy and, and empathy and lending a helping hand instead of standing by and laughing at other people's misfortune as happened to your your what you were describing to your mom is standing in line. And so so these stories are are in your book and people reading them can understand um hopefully not to do those things in in our lives and to make themselves better people in helping these refugees and together we can hopefully make a better world. Yes, yes, that would be very nice. Together, we'll make a better world, and all over the world, um, these people will be running to, and hopefully they will be able to resettle and stay. I know it's temporary residence, but who knows, it could be longer. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we can make this world a better place. Yeah. So your book is called... Rebecca's Journey, Memoir of a Young Girl Fleeing Anti-Semitism. And it's available from all major bookstores, booksellers, Chapters Indigo, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And um, so you can order it online or find it in bookstores. Yes, it is absolutely correct. It's in Chapters, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And... uh, uh, well, hopefully there are they are still in stock and uh, congratulations again on on the great sales of the book and that is really a good sign that people are interested in learning about the past hopefully with the intention of not repeating it themselves so thank you for writing the book thank you for your time telling us your story and about the work that you're doing and uh, and putting out that call for for people to get involved as well thank you so much regina Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. Okay. And if you don't mind, I'll think of you as Rivka. That's a beautiful name. Thank you so much. Ви слухаєте наш голос Радіо Українського коріння, котре подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Нанайму. І з вами Оксана і Павліна. You're listening to Dash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo with your hosts Oksana and me, Pavlina. Ті, що повернуться і ті, що прийдуть, кого згадають, кого тут приймуть, кому віддячили, кого не забули, хто носить як шрами, ламане минуле, всі, хто набув і всі, хто втратив, всі, хто питав, у тебе поради, всі, хто просив, у тебе пробачення, всі мають значення, всі мають значення. З ночі лишається небо темне, іде війна, виростають діти і любиш їх. Тому що крім тебе їх тут ніхто не буде любити Сонце здіймається вище і вище Ранішні відблиски на металі І те, що тримало тебе раніше Буде тримати тебе надалі Той, хто мовчить і той, хто говорить Простір над нами високий хворий Простір не має лишатись тривожним Любов це те, що сталося з кожним Згадай всіх тих, що тебе просили Всіх тих, кому говорив до побачення Всіх, хто давав тобі радості сила Хто має для тебе магу і значення Згадай всіх тих, кому нині тяжко Для кого час 
зупинився як серце Зроби перед виходом останню затяжку Тобі тепер завжди носити усе це Цілють зими і березневі ріки Цю давню потребу лишатись людиною Ми запам'ятаємо все це навіки Нам далі жити цією країною Зночі лишається небо темне, іде війна, виростають діти і любиш їх, тому що крім тебе їх тут ніхто не буде любити. Ранкова збивка теплого серця, нічного неба, дерево рити і наше повітря нам дається, щоб дихати і говорити. Зночі лишається небо темне, іде війна, виростають діти і любиш їх, тому що крім тебе їх тут ніхто Знімається вище і вище Радішні відблоски на металі І те, що тримало тебе раніше Буде тримати тебе надалі
Одного ранку ще на світанку Земля здригнулась і враз закипіла Наша кров ракети з неба Колони танків і заревів старий Дніпро Ракети з неба, колони танків І заревів старий Дніпро Ніхто не думав, ніхто не бачив яка насправді бува українська людька тів проклятий безжально мочим тих, що на нашу землю пруть. Катів проклятий безжально мочим тих, хто на нашу землю пруть. В теробороні найкращі хлопці, самі герої воюють у наших ЗСУ і джавеліни. І байрактари за Україну б'ють русню. І джавеліни, і байрактари за Україну б'ють русню. А наші люди, а українці проти русні об'єднали вже цілий світ. І скоро зовсім русні не буде, а буде мир на всій землі. І скоро зовсім русні не буде, а буде мир на всій землі. Мала, там до нас гості приїхали. Обережно, не зачепи їх. Та я бачу, плюс. Ти йде, львейсі йдуть, з ворога плату брати. 
бачиш, утримавши небо у серці, до дому прийдуть ебовейси. Хто ближче до неба, той ближче до Бога, і з вільними поруч іде перемога. Нам доля над іншими небо тримати, працюємо, брате. Подай зброю мені, брате, зачекай люба. Чекай мати, хлопці елельвейси йдуть з ворога плату брати. Подай зброю мені, брате, зачекай люба, зачекай мати, хлопці елельвейси йдуть з ворога плату брати. Подай зброю мені, брате, зачекай люба, зачекай мати, хлопці And with that, we come to the end of this week's show. Please join Oksana Pobodezhnik next week at 11 a.m. for another edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. In between broadcasts, please visit our Facebook page and our website www.nasholos.com. Наша передача підходить до кінця. Бажаю вам гарного дня. До зустрічі наступної середи о цій же годині 11 ранку до першої дня. Нагадую, ви слухали наш голос Радіо Українського коріння на хвилі CHLY 101.7 у місті Нанаймо. З вами цю годину була я, Оксана Побережник. Всього доброго. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.